Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of uh, the Psalms, Psalm 127 this morning, Psalm 127, the title of my sermon is Children are likened to arrows in the hand of a mighty man. Children are likened to arrows in the hand of a mighty man. Psalm 127. Let's read the third, fourth and fifth verse. Psalm 127 verses 3 to 5. Let's read together please after 2. 1. And two, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you will please teach us and stir our hearts, O God, uh, with your precious word. I pray that you'd meet each one at that point of need spiritually. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask and pray. Amen. I'd like to stress during this sermon this morning the importance of you and I valuing our children and their potential influence. We need to see that little people become big people and can make a notable mark on the world. And here in the third verse, the Bible teaches us very clearly that children are gifts from God to the parent. Lo, children are an heritage, a gift of the Lord, and the fruit of of the womb is God's reward to to a husband and wife. So children are gifts from God to the parents. And this is what Jacob declared before Esau. Note there in Genesis chapter 33, please. The grand reunion of Jacob and Esau. A very touching event here. And note here in Genesis chapter 33, verse number 5, it reads... And he lifted up his eyes, that is Esau, and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? This is to Jacob. And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. That's a good attitude. The children which God hath graciously given thy servant servant. Children are gifts from God to the parents. The Bible teaches us in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. 
and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So we are reminded this morning that children are gifts from God to the parents. And if we go back to Genesis, pardon me, to Psalm 127, we will note in verse number 4 and 5 that children are likened to arrows. As arrows are, verse 4, in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Children are likened to arrows. Why such an analogy? Well, the bow and arrow... Among the Egyptians and the Assyrians and even the Hebrews was one of the main weapons used offensively or to attack. So when you speak of a bow and arrow within the biblical sense, you are referring to a main weapon of attack. And uh, common amongst the Egyptians, common amongst the Assyrians, and also common amongst the Hebrews. So, in a positive sense, children, according to verse 4, are likened to arrows, and the Bible teaches us, in the hand of a what? A mighty man. Children, arrows, in the hand of a mighty man, which are the parents are instruments of power, action, effect and victory. As an arrow can be effective in making impact, so likewise children that are directed biblically can also make an impact upon the world. Now we noted in Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You and I as parents and parents-to-be have the awesome responsibility as mighty men, so to speak, to guide and direct our children so that they will have impact upon this wicked, perverse world that we live in. Note then Psalm 45, please, quickly, Psalm 45. Verse 5, Psalm 45. Psalm 45, verse number 5 and 6 it reads, Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemy, whereby or thereby the people fall under thee. So here it reminds us of the impact of an arrow. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Then note verse number six, please. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. That is uh, a quote, that is a passage of scripture that is quoted 
in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin is at enmity against God and Jesus Christ, God the Son, as an arrow from God the Father, has conquered sin in his death, burial and resurrection. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemy, whereby the people fall under him. Sin is at enmity against God, and Jesus Christ, God the Son, directed by God the Father, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus Christ, God the Son, directed by God the Father, conquered sin in his death, burial and resurrection. And beloved, for you and I that know Jesus Christ as Saviour, we need to value our children and we need to see from a biblical perspective that they have great impact. They can have great impact provided they are directed by you and I as parents. So in a positive sense, children as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, parents, can be instruments of power action, effect and victory. So this morning I'd like to note some arrows in the Scriptures, some children in the Scriptures that made a name for themselves. Even though some of their circumstances were not ideal. See, parenting is not about perfection. Parenting is not about perfection. Will somebody say amen? Who do you think you are, a perfect parent? Of course you're not. I don't claim to be a perfect parent. Not about perfection. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he shall not depart from it. So parenting is not about perfection but it's summed up in Proverbs 22, 6. And if we will do our part as parents, even though we are frail and we fall short of God's glory, and I think all of us that are parents, if we could rewind the clock, we'd do some things differently. But if we are sincere before God and we take God's word seriously, we do the best of our ability to train up a child in the way he should go, If we will do our part as parents, our children have a greater, have greater potential to be used mightily of God. So let's note some arrows here in the scriptures. A little maid here in 2 Kings chapter 5, please. Little slave girl, 2 Kings chapter 5, who was a bold witness. 2 Kings chapter 5, please. A Jewish slave that served in Naaman's house, chief general of the Assyrian army. And note here in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1, 2 and 3, now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master. And honourable by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, 
He was also a mighty man of, in valour, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him that is Naaman of his leprosy. This little maid that became a bold witness, she was taken from her family and country to serve as a slave in the home of a general within the Syrian army. This young girl was torn away from her own family. No doubt, tragedy. She experienced tragedy as a young child. And yet we read of her serving in Naaman's household, being a little servant to Naaman's wife. And yet we read that she's a bold witness. She unashamedly and courageously shared how her master could be healed by one of her own people. Question, why would she want him to be healed? You thought about that? She's a little slave. She's been ripped out of her home and as far as we know, potentially her parents were killed. Why would she want this general to be healed. Good question, Pastor. Never thought about that before. For this man could have been responsible for killing some of his own family members, or her own family members, I should say. So she arose above her circumstances And out of a heart of compassion and no doubt forgiveness, shared the message of hope with the general's wife. And what was the end result? Look at verse number 14 of 2 Kings chapter 5. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God that is Elisha and his flesh, that is Naaman's flesh, came again like unto the flesh of a little child and he was clean. As a result of this little maid being a bold witness, and said to Naaman's wife, I know somebody that can potentially heal your husband. And as a result, Naaman is healed via the prophet Elisha. She overcame adversity in her life. In Proverbs 24.10, the Bible teaches us, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. She didn't develop a victim's mentality that led to bitterness. She made the effort to pick up her life, pick up her broken world and move forward from where she was at 
at that point. And parents, we need to teach our children to turn those stumbling stones into stepping stones. What, what, what benefit was it, really, to this little slave girl to pass on that little secret that she had within her heart, the knowledge of this man of God by the name of Elisha that could provide healing for the captain of the Syrian army. What real benefit was that for her on paper? I think there were very little. But yet we see this little arrow as a bold witness. And because of her bold witness, Naaman is healed. God does the miraculous because of this little arrow, even though she experienced difficulty and adversity, she turned those stumbling stones in her life into stepping stones for the benefit of others. And how old was she? How mature was she? Well, the Bible says she was a little maid. little maid? Was she ten? Was she five? Couldn't have been that old. But yet she was a bold witness. So parents, don't underestimate the power how God can use your little arrows for God's glory. Even though they might have experienced some adverse Adversity in their lives. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, please. Let's note the life of another young man. 1 Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17 verses 42 to 45. The Bible reads, And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. A young man that becomes a giant killer, a little maid that becomes a bold witness, turned to a stepping her stumbling stones into stepping stones. 
May I remind you that many of the hymns that we sing within our hymn books are written by a woman by the name of Fanny Crosby who was blind. And in spite of her blindness, God used her mindly to pen many sacred hymns that we treasure to this very day. A little maid that turned a stumbling stone into a stepping stone. Now we read of a young man, a youth that becomes a giant killer. David, a young shepherd boy, was sent by his father Jesse to see how his brothers were and to provide for them a little, some food for them. And David, in so doing, he walked into the heat of a battle where the Philistines were mocking the Israelites. And nobody was willing to come forward and battle with Goliath, the champion of the Philistines. So the Philistines were mocking God's people. They were calling for someone to fight against their champion, Goliath, who was not only a giant in stature, but very skillful as a soldier. And David, within God's providence, within God's will, said, I will fight against him. David couldn't bear his nation being mocked and ridiculed by Goliath. And what is the outcome in David in battle against Goliath? Note then verse number 50. The Bible reads, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. So David prevails over Goliath and he uses Goliath's sword to chop Goliath's head off. He prevails against him. Question, why was David able to do that which seemingly was impossible? Why was he able to do the supernatural? Beloved, the reason why David as a youth was able to slay a giant is because David believed that his God was bigger than his problems. And he placed his faith in his God. For he said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. My God is bigger than you, Goliath. Wow, what faith. How is it that David could achieve such a great task? He was faithful to the little things. He was prepared to be a little shepherd boy. He was prepared to provide some food for his brothers and he was prepared to meet a need. He could see that God's people were being mocked, ridiculed and he loved his people, he loved his God. He said, I'm going to do something about this. David believed that God was bigger than his problems and he placed his faith in the living God. But David said to Goliath, your faith is in your sword 
your spear, your shield. My faith is in the Lord God Almighty. And parents, we need to encourage our children to be faithful in the little things. Right where they're at. And in time, by God's grace, God will take your child, take my children as arrows. And by His grace, use them mightily for God's glory. A youth that became a giant killer because he believed that his God was big. Young people, mature people, our God is big. Our God is all-powerful. And we need to recalculate from time to time and remind ourselves that our God is bigger and better than anything on this side of eternity. And we need to place our faith in him, just like David did of old, just a youth. How old could he have possibly have been? Twelve? Seventeen? Fifteen? Couldn't have been very old. Yet God used him, because he believed that God is able. And young people, God can use you to slay some giants and there are some giants out there that need to be put down. And there's some giants out there that need their heads chopped off. Amen. And in the power of God, you can do it. But in the power of God. For David said, I don't come to you likewise, Goliath, with a shield and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. A little maid that was a bold witness. What an arrow. A youth that became a giant killer. What an arrow. Let's note one more this morning. This one is found in 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. And here we read of a child that becomes a king and becomes an instrument of revival. 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jediah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath. Verse 2, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshalem, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, 
which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house. We read within this passage of Scripture that, that, that Josiah, Josiah is the son of Ammon, becomes the new king of Judah. The Bible teaches us in verse number 1, he becomes king at what age? Age. The Bible teaches us that his father Ammon was a wicked man. Look at verses 20 to 23 of chapter 21. This is concerning Josiah's father. Verse 20, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh did. He walked not in the way that his father walked in. He, pardon me, he walked in all the way that his father walked in and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them and forsook the Lord God of his fathers and walked not in the way of the Lord. As a result, the Bible teaches us in verse 23, and the servants of Ammon conspired against him and slew the king of his own house. So Josiah becomes king at the age of eight. The son of Ammon, who was a wicked man, his father was a wicked man. What was his grandfather like? He was even more wicked. You go back to chapter 21 once again, note then verses 2 to 4. tells us that Josiah's grandfather... Not only was his father a wicked man, but his grandfather was a, a, a double wicked man. Look at verse 2. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen. That word abomination, whenever you read that word, you won't find it often in the Scriptures. That is something that God absolutely detests to the core. Bible calls sodomy an abomination. It makes God sick. Oh, but pastor, society is accepting sodomy, but it makes God sick. Manasseh made God sick. He followed the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Then in verses 3 and 4, it tells us a little about a little bit about his abominations. So Josiah becomes king. His father's a wicked man. His grandfather's a very, very wicked man. So Josiah doesn't have the privilege of being instructed by godliness from his father and grandfather. But note there in chapter 22, verse number 2, the Bible reads, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of who? David, his father. So this Josiah was a smart cookie. He could see that dad's a rotten egg. Granddad's a double rotten egg. I don't think I should follow their example. So I'm going to go back and follow the example of King David. David. 
But Josiah doesn't have the privilege of a godly heritage. Yet we find that he stands on his own in leading God's people, not only to reform, but to spiritual revival. At the age of 18, he commissions the high priest, Hilkiah, to gather the funds in order to repair the temple that was no doubt left in disarray. Verses 4 and 5 were bred. And during this building renovation, they discover a copy of the Word of God. Discover, or should I say, rediscover. Note then verse 10 and 11 of 2 Kings 22. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. He broke down. So the word of God was brought to King Josiah, read before him by the scribe. And the king was convicted once he realised how far God's people have moved away from God. Verse number 13, please. Go ye inquire of the Lord for me, said Josiah, for the people of all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according to, unto all that which is written concerning us. So the king was convicted once he realised how far God's people had moved away from God. So what does King Josiah do? He's just a kid, 18 years of age. He's only been king for 10 years. He became king at 8, the age of 8. Now he's 18. So what does he do? Well, King Josiah orders a renewal for God's people to get back on track and to be obedient to the Word of God. We see a renewal of the covenant here in chapter 23 all the way through. Look at verse 24. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the image and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and Jerusalem did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. What a man. So Josiah, upon hearing the pure word of God, made a deliberate decision to obey. As a result, he became an instrument of revival amongst God's people. My friend, revival means renewed life. You cannot be revived unless you have life. Viva life, revive. Let me ask you this morning, do you have the life of the Spirit? The Bible teaches us that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And the Bible teaches us that you must be born again. You need the life of the Spirit. And for you and I to be revived as God's people, you need to make sure first and foremost that you have the life of the Spirit. 
there has been a time in your life that you repented of your sin and by faith you received Jesus Christ as your own personal saviour, believing that you're a sinner, Christ is the only solution, he died, was buried and rose again, and by faith you repent and you receive him. So at that point you're born again by the Spirit of God. And you have the potential to be revived. Oh, the psalmist said, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Beloved, we need revival in our day. We need revival daily. The Word of God is the medium of revival. You cannot be revived unless you have vibe, you have life. Do you have life of the Spirit? Do you know Jesus Christ as Saviour? See, it was the Word of God that brought revival to the nation of, of Judah under the hand of Josiah. Why? Because Josiah stood in his own merits. He said, my father's a rotten egg. I love him dearly, but he's a rotten egg. Spiritually speaking. And my grandfather's a double rotten egg. Spiritually speaking. I can't follow their example, so I'm going to follow King David's example. I'm going to choose who I'm going to follow. And listen to me, young people, no matter how rotten the egg is in your family situation, pick somebody that's worth following and follow them for the glory of God. Amen. Don't use that as an excuse. Parents, we need to train our children to stand on their own convictions and beliefs. Josiah chose to not rest in the ways of his father and grandfather. Josiah no doubt had a genuine, simple love for God. You could see the temple was in disarray. I think we need to clean this up. And as a result, the Word of God was rediscovered. The Word of God was taught and read and the Word of God had an effect. All because of a child. A child that becomes a king, that loves God. And children, no matter how evil or twisted your family roots might be, you can still choose to love God. Amen, Pastor. This is what Josiah did. What was the result? National revival. Through an 18-year-old teenager who became king at the age of eight. What could he have possibly have known, really, in leading a nation? Becomes king at eight, even within ten years, I mean, honestly, on a human level. But he loved God. Wanted to please God. He loved God had the humility to obey God. Arrows, arrows, a little maid that became a bold witness. A youth that became a giant killer. And a child that becomes a king and becomes the instrument of revival. I'm reminded of another king by the name of King Edward VI in the 1500s. This is our little church history book. It's only 1,200 pages. And, uh, and my dear students have been reading through this. 
and uh, I'm sure they'll testify it's been an absolute delight. As you see and read of the hand of God at work amongst people, as we come to the close of this book, Miller makes reference to a king by the name of King Edward VI. On the death of Henry, King Henry VIII, who started his own church, the Church of England, because he wanted to divorce his first wife. He went on and had six wives. Edward VI, the child of Henry's third wife, Jane Seymour was her name, became king at the age of nine, Josiah at the age of eight, King Edward VI at the age of nine. In 1547, at the age of nine. His coronation took place in February when the friends of the gospel were released from prison. So because of his reign, he ordered the release of friends, people that loved the word of God from prison. People that were known as friends of the gospel. That during the procession, when the, when the procession was about to move from the Abbey of Westminster to the palace, three swords were brought to be carried before the newly crowned king. Emblemic of his three kingdoms. Seeing this, the king observed there lacks yet one sword, he said. This is a nine-year-old kid. On his nobles inquiring what it was, he answered, the Bible. The Bible, he said. That book is the sword of the Spirit and is to be preferred before those other swords. It ought in all right to govern us, said King Edward VI, nine-year-old kid. This is during his coronation. And without it we are nothing, he said. He that rules without it is not to be called God's minister or a king. The Bible was brought and carried reverently in the procession. The natural gifts of Edward, it is said, were such as to raise him far above the ordinary conditions of childhood. His father had wisely provided him with pious teachers. Hard to believe, King Henry VIII. Anyway, God is in control to provide him with pious teachers who were also friends of the gospel. Numerous letters were written by the precocious prince in Latin and French before he was ten years old. Catherine Parr, the sixth wife of his father, 
is said to be a lady of great virtue and intelligence, carefully watching over his training. Then the author of this book goes on to say, during the brief reign of Edward, he died at the age of 16, became king at the age of 9, died at the age of 16. During the brief reign of Edward, every encouragement was given to the diffusion of the English Bible. Though his reign extended a little more than seven years, no fewer than 11 editions of the Bible and six of the New Testament were published. This is a nine-year-old kid. King Edward died at the age of 16, July 6, 1553. And with his premature death, a night of terrible darkness surrounded the Reformation in England. And this was his last prayer. King Edward VI, his last prayer. Listen carefully. Are you listening to me? Listen carefully. 16-year-old kid, an arrow. O my Lord God, bless my people and save thine inheritance. O Lord God, save thy chosen people of England. O Lord God, defend this realm from popery, the Roman Catholic Church. And maintain thy true religion, that I and my people may praise thy holy name for Jesus Christ, his sake. And it was said that because of this young man's commitment, became king at the age of nine, died at the age of 16, because of King Edward VI, during this short reign, we may say the Reformation was established, Protestantism was assumed in all points within the British Empire. And the point I want to make is simply this church family, arrows, arrows, King Edward VI became the turning point of where England, the British Empire, had their roots in biblical Christianity, not Catholicism. When King Henry VIII started his own church, he never intended to separate from the Catholic Church. Before he started his church, he defended the Catholic Church and he became known as the Defender of the Faith. The Pope gave him that title, the Defender of the Faith. And you'll read today over the monarchy, the Defender of the Faith. That was given to rotten King Henry VIII in defending Catholicism 
against biblical Christianity. But praise God, He is a God of providence. And God used King Edward, His son, King Edward, to be the instrument of cementing once and for all biblical Christianity within the British Empire. And it's through the British Empire the Gospel has come to Australia. And all of God's people said, Amen for that. All because of what? A nine-year-old kid. A nine-year-old kid. King Edward VI. And beloved, let me close by simply saying, children are gifts from God. Children, arrows that need direction. And our children can have impact upon the world. A little maid who was a bold witness. A youth that killed a giant. An eight-year-old king that led his nation into revival. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so likewise are children. So parents, parents-to-be, let's not despise our children. Let's see them as arrows and maybe they will become the next little maid. That next David that next Josiah or that next King Edward VI. May God help us to value our children. Let's invest in our children. Let's pray for our children. And young people, do something great for God. Oh, but Pastor, I'm only young. Yeah, you're an arrow. I don't know much. Well, how much could Josiah have known? Tell me. How much could that little slave girl have known? Let no man despise thy youth. May God help us to value our children. And parents, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. And maybe your child will become the next King Edward VI. For God's glory. Let's bow for prayer.